This week is Thanksgiving, right? You guys ready? The official rush to Christmas begins this week. Some of you have big Thanksgiving plans. A few of you are going to host a family gathering. A few of you are going to attend a gathering at someone else's home. Some of you are going to decorate for Christmas. Some of you already have decorated for Christmas. It's a little early for me, but, you know, it's to each his own. Some of you will not listen to Christmas music until this coming Friday. You have all these rules and these things that you kind of put on the Christmas holidays. But today, we need to realize something, that today marks the beginning of, for some, a wonderful time of the year, but for some, a really difficult time of the year. So I want to give you a few realistic expectations for this week, right? I think if we go in with a little realism about this week, that maybe some of the typical things that make Thanksgiving week a little awkward in in some cases might be a little better for you. So if you are hosting Thanksgiving for the first time and you view in your mind, your picture of your turkey is going to look like this, all right? Realize that it has a chance to look like this. Okay? All right? I mean, somewhere in between. It's probably not going to look like the first picture. Hopefully, it won't look like the last. Some of you are going to collapse next Saturday when your family clears out. All right? You're going to roll in here next Sunday morning, groggy-eyed, all right, just trying to get, get over the last few days. Some of you are going, maybe the majority of us are going to have indigestion from eating too much. All right? So go ahead and buy whatever you need to buy to counteract that. All right? um, just be real about it. On Thursday evening, you're going to devise your plan for New Year's Day dieting. You're not going to devise it for the next week because then you're preparing for Christmas, right? So you've got to plan ahead. Just be realistic. Think towards January 1st, all right? Um, you're going to Google a recipe. Somebody in this room is going to Google a recipe for leftover turkey, all right? What do I do with leftover turkey? And somebody in your family is going to be offended by something or someone. Just go ahead and own up to it, all right? Maybe even just say it, right? Thanksgiving prayer right before you, hey, you know what? Today, we're going to be thankful. And you know what? Somebody's going to get offended today. Let's just all get over it ahead of time, all right? Just throw it out there. But all joking aside, one thing that I believe that we can collectively do this morning is become and remind ourselves to be grateful people. I'm so excited for the couple of passages of scriptures that we're going to look at today. One is going to be in Luke chapter 17, and then we're actually going to back up into Luke chapter 15, a couple of chapters, to look at a couple instances to where today my hope is that we can choose to be grateful. Choosing gratitude, that we can say, you know what, I'm going to put that on this week over and over and over not just about the relationships and the things that I have and the, and the ways that I live, but today I want us to choose to be thankful for what we have just got finished singing about. We're going to choose to be thankful for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So one of the scriptures today is Luke chapter 17, and it is a, an example of gratitude, but it's also an example of someone who's not grateful, a group of people. In the Bible, there's an instance here where Jesus is approached by a group of people in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, this is not just geographical information for you. This is cultural information for you. Luke is writing this. He's including this so that we understand that there is 
between Samaria, Samaritans, and Galileans, there is a prejudice, there is racism between the two groups. And Jesus is going along, we don't know if it's a north and south border or east and west border, but he's walking along this border and Samaria and Galilee, Samaritans, Galileans. The Galileans thought the Samaritans were dirty, unclean people. The Samaritans just thought the Galileans were racist, prejudiced people towards them. There was a lot of animosity between the two groups. Verse 12 said, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And there you have a perfect moment set up here to see what's going to happen. Now, we, we got to make sure that we understand leprosy. When I say 10 lepers, children in the room, I'm not saying leopards, all right? Lepers. Lepers is not a word that we talk about. Leprosy is not a, an issue that we talk very much about in the United States in 2018. But leprosy was a skin condition which led to terrible ramifications for those who were sick. Without being too graphic, and I could be this morning, Leprosy could result in outer wounds in the, the lives of people, in their bodies, in their skin. And in extreme cases, it would impact the loss of nerve endings. And in some cases, it could be the loss of limbs, the loss of extremities, and it could even lead to death. And so what people did in this time period, even in this time period 2,000 years ago, but all the way back into the, the further parts of the Old Testament, there was a distinct set of instructions about what you were supposed to do if you were a leper. And what took place is there was a physical pain that went with leprosy, but there was really an emotional pain. It's one of the rare sicknesses described in Scripture and instructions about what you're supposed to do if you have leprosy. Leviticus 13 and 14 tell us, here's what's supposed to happen. If you get leprosy, you are to go to a colony, a group of people on the outside of town, and you're supposed to live there. Hopefully you would live there until you got better, but you would live there until the disease went away. And so here's what took place. Here's what's ironic about this is unlike in Luke 5 where a leper comes directly in contact with Jesus, this group comes and what does Scripture say about them? It says, as they entered their voices, he met two lepers who stood at a distance. They're culturally doing what they're supposed to, but they still want an audience with Jesus. So they get, Scripture doesn't tell us how many feet away, but it says they shouted. So they get close enough to Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, Jesus. Ten of them standing there together. Have mercy on us. They're doing exactly what culturally, what instructions they're given to do. You, you don't approach anyone. You keep your distance. You don't infect someone else. You don't go into town with everybody else. And here's what would take place. Jesus gives them instructions based on Old Testament law. He says to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, why would Jesus do that? He doesn't say be healed. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, in Leviticus, what would happen if you were a leper and you had leprosy, when you came back 
to the, the village, to the people, and say, hey, I, I, we've, I think I'm cured, you would go to the priest, all right? Today we'd call that the pastor, all right? You go to the pastor, you go to the priest who was in charge of sacrifices and traditions, and you would go to him and say, I think I've been healed of leprosy. The, the priest would then have to go to your house, inspect your house, inspect your linens, inspect your sores. I started thinking I was really glad that I'm a pastor in 2018, Life expectancy could not have been long for these guys, right? So they had to go back into the setting, examine it. Then the priest would go to the town and say, this person no longer has leprosy. This person can now come back into town. Then he would make a sacrifice for a thanks, that, a grateful sacrifice for your being healed. And that was what Jesus says. He says, so go show yourselves to the priests. But you only go and show yourself to the priest when you are what? Healed. You don't go when you're still sick. And so Jesus says, they say, Lord, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he says, go see the priests. Go show yourselves to the priest. And scripture tells us next. And as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine this? Again, I've told you numerous times, I'm a visual learner. So I'm just in my mind, I'm picturing these 10 lepers, and they come to Jesus, they shout to him, hey, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they're walking, they're like, man, we're not clean yet. And they're looking at their hands also. Look, do you see my hands? Whoa, dude, do you see your arm? Like, there's no more rash on there. They're walking towards the priest, and as they were walking, the verbs here mean in the middle of, not in one moment, but gradually, these guys are walking, and their bodies are just being healed before them. I don't know about you, that's a pretty wow moment, right? Because if you would have had leprosy, you would have not seen your family, you would have not been a part of culture, you would have been ostracized and put off in a colony of lepers, not associating with anybody else. And here you are walking, and you begin to be healed. Then one of them, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Only one out of ten Only one out of the ten lepers come running back to Jesus, praising God, shouting, screaming, and he dives in front of Jesus and he gives thanks. Now this word here is so incredible in Scripture. Um, It is from the word Eucharist, all right? And there's a lot of history about this word in the New Testament, but also it's comparative word in the Old Testament. Let's just give you a little bit of New Testament language. Jesus loved to use this word. And he used this word when he would pray to the Heavenly Father. He would give thanks to the Heavenly Father. He would give eucharisteo is the actual word here. It means to give thanks. Jesus would use it when he would praise his Heavenly Father. Jesus would use this and give thanks prior to miracles taking place. Jesus also used this word, eucharisteo, that the leper came back and gave thanks to Jesus. Jesus used this word when he dispersed and dispensed the Lord's Supper the night he was betrayed. He gave thanks. Willingly, obediently, not forced, 
not mandated. But culturally, he, they, this, this moment, this gentleman returns and he runs to the feet of Jesus. He falls down at his feet and he says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Scripture includes one detail here. In, in the book of Luke here, Luke, verse seven, Luke chapter 17, he includes a detail here. In verse 16, at the end, it says, now he was a Samaritan. Luke included some details here that are significant. But he shows us here that out of the ten, maybe the only Samaritan in the group comes running back to Jesus. And this is a, another example that we see throughout the Gospels, that the Jewish people wanted a Savior, wanted a Messiah, but they just could not picture that it was Jesus. But this one Samaritan, and this shows us something this morning. This shows us, it is a beautiful inclusion that reminds us that the living hope we have in Jesus Christ is not reserved for a race. It is not reserved for a nation. It is not reserved for a specific people group. Jesus is healing across the lines. Today I want us to be people, <clears throat> this week, I want you to really think about this, that grateful people are people who return to give thanks. Grateful people are people who return to give thanks, who go out of their way, who turn around and realize, you know what? I need to go back and give thanks. Now, before we beat the other nine guys up, let's be honest. If you're walking along the road and you've had leprosy and suddenly your hands begin to reform, the, the rash begins to go away, you know what I'm going to do? I'm running straight to my family. I'm running straight from my house. I'm going, guys, you would not believe what happened here. Or maybe I'm going to keep on going to the priest so he can declare me clean, so I can head back home, so I can be a part of culture. Let's not beat them up, right? Because there's one who comes back. Before we beat up the nine lepers, let's be honest. We are a culture, by and large, we're an ungrateful culture. What we must be careful of is not to become professional, ungrateful spotters in life, right? When your kids are little, maybe when they're not so little, and someone gives them something, and you're standing there beside them, parents, what do you whisper in their ear? What do you say? What, what do you say? Thank you. But as we get older in life, nobody's whispering in your ear anymore, Right? And so we don't carry ourselves by the same standards we become adults. No one's whispering in our ear. Now, now say thank you. Nobody forced this guy to go back. Only one returned. Grateful people are people who return to give thanks. Jesus asked three really hard personal questions then. He says in verse 17, Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? This outsider? This Samaritan? This guy who doesn't fit the Galilean race? He's, he's the only one? Again, just a picture that this gospel, this Jesus, was for all mankind. They were all sick. They all needed healing. And he said to him, verse 19, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Rise 
and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And the one that was grateful had returned to give thanks. Spiritually, we need to be reminded. So I want us to look at spiritually what we need to remind ourselves of during maybe this Thanksgiving week, but, but not just during Thanksgiving. But also then I want to look at what are some common struggles that I know I have, maybe you have had, with being ungrateful people. So let's talk about being grateful first. Uh, Psalm 107 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures, how long? Forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. In 1 Chronicles it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. You know one of the reasons why I get excited about Sunday mornings? Is we get to do this collectively together. Now you may do this during the week with a group of folks. Or maybe you do this alone in your your time that you spend with the Lord on your own. But this is such a privilege on a Sunday morning that we get to collectively come in here and be led by and engage in and sing as he says here. Sing to him. Sing praises and tell him of his wondrous works. That's what you did this morning. Hopefully you participated. Raised to life. Living hope. That we collectively get to give thanks to God. Scripture is full of reminders. The New Testament, many of the letters that were written about and to the church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ begin with phrases and paragraphs of thankfulness. Thankfulness to God and thankfulness to other believers. Grateful people continue to show themselves as people who return to give thanks. And this is what, where I kind of got hung up this week. Then one of them... Versus where are the nine? One of them versus the nine. How many of them had leprosy? How many of them were sick? How many of them were ostracized from their culture? One returned. I've been asking myself the last few days, am I a one or am I one of the nine? When I step in here to worship, am I, am, I, am I a one? Like, am I walking into this place on a Sunday morning with expectation that I get to sit beside some folks that I don't know that well and who have experienced the grace of Jesus and his forgiveness, and I get to stand beside them, and we collectively get to make a joyful noise to the Lord together. I want to be a one. I don't want to be a nine. I don't want to run back home or run somewhere else before I come back and praise Jesus for what he has done. You and I were dead in our sins. How many of us were dead in our sins? Scripture tells us how many? All. How many of us have sinned? All. How many of us, you don't have to answer this, how many of us have forgotten to continually come back and give thanks. A a very familiar passage to many of us who've trusted in Jesus says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace by faith, not on your own, not based on your good deeds, and not based on your lack of good deeds. Hear that this morning. It's a both and. It's not based on how many good deeds you've done or how many you have not done. Grace allows you, God's grace allows you to worship Him, to be thankful, to be grateful. God's grace has saved us from our sins. According to Ephesians chapter 2, God's grace has given us the gift to be used by Him. It has given us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and God's grace has saved you in order to use you for His good works. You should find that pretty remarkable. Because how many of us have sinned? All. But how many of us, when we get the opportunity, figuratively, spiritually, come into worship and we say, man, I'm going to fall before Jesus and I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to return to him over and over and over. I'm going to be a grateful person because of the grace of Jesus. Are you grateful for God's grace? Are you and I, are we grateful for God's grace? I'm not asking you are grateful for your stuff. I'm asking you, are you grateful for God's grace? Who could imagine, Scripture says, so great a mercy? Not Scripture, the, the song we sang right before we, we, we got into the message. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. That's what we sang right before we jumped into the message. That's what we declared. Do we declare with the attitude of the one or the nine? Do we just sing it on our way out the door going, living hope? Or do we run back, Eucharisteo, falling at the feet of Jesus, say, Jesus Christ, my living hope? Because I was dead in my sins. And grateful people are people who return to give thanks. The leper knew the pain of sickness. He knew the difficulties. He was facing being ostracized and being downtrodden. The other nine, they only looked forward. They do what you and I do. The one, he looked back and he ran yelling and rejoicing at the feet of Jesus. Are you grateful for God's grace? Are you choosing gratitude? Choosing hope? Choosing joy? We've got to be so careful not to become the other nine. Now I want to attempt to get through another passage of Scripture. This is going to be tough. There's a parable in Luke chapter 15. I'll give you the highlights. Some of you know it. Some of you refer to it as the prodigal son. 
The prodigal son, there's actually two sons in the story. We always focus on the first guy because he comes to his father and he says, hey, give me everything that I want, not that I deserve, but get everything that I want, my inheritance ahead of time. You haven't passed away, but give it all to me. He runs out, he parties it away. He squanders it. And he said there was a man, Scripture says in Luke 15, 11 and 12, says he said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Ungrateful people make demands instead of requests. It's a huge difference here. Ungrateful people make demands instead of requests. He comes to his father almost as if he, if he owns this and says, give me my stuff. I want more. I'm never content. Give me more. This guy reminds me of a toddler at Christmas. What does a toddler at Christmas do? They get a package. If this is your house, I don't know. They get a package. They open it. They look at it. They set it aside. They grab the next one. They open it. They put it aside. They read. It's like a factory in your house, right? They just grab one and look at the next. Grab one and look at the next. This young man came to his father and says, give me what I one day deserve. I'm entitled to it. We want our food served faster. We want our shopping experiences with ease. I, I, was, I, I realized something that took place, maybe it happened to you, uh, about six weeks ago when Hurricane Florence hit and the East Coast was pretty much shut down and part of our state was shut down. Uh, any of you Amazon users out there? Any of you Amazon users, come on, raise your hand. It's not something to be humbled by or shamed by, okay? Um, did any of you notice that your Amazon Prime did not come in two-day delivery? Anybody? Anybody get a little bit upset about that at first? I did. You know why your package didn't get there? Because somebody's house was sitting in water on the East Coast and they couldn't get your package to you. But I deserve it. It's my package. I paid for Prime. I paid for shipping. I should get it when I want it. Give me what I and requesting and demanding. Give it to me now. That's the culture we live in. That's the world that we live in. But this parable contains another guy. It contains another son. Luke chapter 15, verse 17 through 19. There's another son. He's out in the field. He's working hard. It says, but when he came to him, goes on to say, but when he was angry and he refused to go in, because here's what happened. The other son was out working in the field. He was out doing all that he was supposed to do. And he gets news that his younger brother, who squandered his inheritance, comes running home. Dad throws a party. He's coming in from working out in the fields, and he hears a party going on. And he says, hey, guys, what's going on? Your brother came back. There's a party. Scripture says, but he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, and he answered his fathers. Look, this many years. This many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found ungratefulness blurs our vision of what God has already placed in our lives because we're blinded by more. Ungratefulness blurs the vision. Jesus says, son, it's all yours anyway. 
But he was blinded by his pridefulness in this moment that his brother who was lost had been found, who had been distant, had been brought home, who was dead, is now alive. And all he can say is, Dad, you didn't give me enough. Ungrateful people always think we, me, deserves more. Just give me more. This is the world that we live in. This is the American culture that we live in. But what happens is ungratefulness. It blurs our vision of what God has already placed in our lives because we've just been blinded by more. The older son could not see the miracle. In a search for more, have you missed the gift of God? In a search for more, have you missed the gift of God? Because let's talk about what we deserve. This is the reality of Scripture. The older son couldn't see because he thought he deserved more. He deserved something else. He says, I deserve more. Scripture says you're exactly right. You deserve more. You are a sinner. And all of your good deeds and all of your good works do not amount to anything. You deserved eternal punishment. I deserved eternal punishment. But see this. You want to know something worthy of giving God and being grateful? God loved you and I so much that he did not give us what we deserve in our sins, but he gave you what you did not deserve in mercy and grace that we looked at last week. He gives us a way to be forgiven, a way to be transformed, and a way to have eternal life, and a way to be used by him. In his love, he sent Jesus. In his love, he sent his son. Not to cleanse us from leprosy, but a far greater sickness to heal us from our sins. To forgive us, to transform us, to make us new. And so, in fact, the very reason you may be here this morning is to wrestle with, as you keep searching for more in this world, have you missed the gift of eternal life? What do you deserve? Eternal punishment. What do I deserve? Eternal punishment. But God, because of his grace, sent Jesus to die for your sins. He rose again. The Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That may be why you're here today. For you in this time, in this time of teaching, this time of worship, for you to acknowledge I deserve more. I deserved eternal punishment, but God has given me eternal life. But in the quest for more, in the quest for making demands, you're missing the gift of eternal life. Grateful people respond with surrender. He fell down, the first story, the leper runs back, falls at his feet, and he, Scripture says he gave thanks and he worshiped. He surrendered himself to the Lord. He was grateful. Are you a grateful person? Today, are you in need of responding to the truth that you are missing the gift of eternal life?
This morning, what a beautiful week for us, Thanksgiving week, to give thanks. To worship, to give praise, to give glory. But also, what an incredible Sunday for you to surrender to Jesus. And say, I deserve more. Death and eternal punishment. But God has given me life. Let's pray this morning.